so listen, I've been, I've been preaching a few different messages, and really we've kind of been along the theme of some unknown names in the Bible. We talked about Jabez. We talked about Benaiah. They've only got a few verses about them in the entire Scripture, but their names had specific meaning, right? Remember Jabez, his, his name, his name uh, anybody remember what his name meant? Because I about don't right now, but, but pain, there it is. One who causes pain, right? So you got Jabez, the one who causes pain. You got Benaiah, it meant built by God. And I want to talk to you about one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite characters in Scripture, this, his story just, it impacts my life. I, I, it, and it's something I don't want to share with you. Maybe you've heard it before, but his name is Mephibosheth. Anybody say Mephibosheth? That's kind of like that Swahili word that Jeremy just said, Mephibosheth. But we're going to get into that. So here's what I want to do. I just want to read uh, 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. I want to talk to you about the king's table this morning. And we're going to talk about Mephibosheth. But let me read this Scripture to you, and then we'll pray together. 2 Samuel 4, 4. It says, Jonathan, Saul's son. Now, Jonathan was, his dad, Saul, was the first king of Israel. And, and so Saul had a son whose name was Jonathan. And Jonathan had a son who was lame in his feet. And he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Now hang on to that verse because that verse itself is tied in with all kinds of different meaning. But before we get into this, can we just pray together this morning? Y'all pray with me. So Father, we're just grateful. We're grateful to be in your presence this morning. And God, we believe, just like Jeremy was saying earlier, that everything that's going on in our lives, Lord, you're weaving it together in your master plan right now. And Lord, even the pain that we go through, even, even the hardships that we go through, the difficulties, Lord Jesus, you are weaving that into your master plan. And Lord, for each person that's here this morning, we just speak peace into their hearts. And Lord God, we are grateful for your word because we believe that your word brings the power to transform. And Lord, we've got so many requests, so many prayers that we've been praying, but we are continuing to believe you for miracles in each of those situations. So I just pray right now that it, as each person sits and listens, God, they, that you would anoint their ears to hear, their hearts to receive, God, and they would sense your love and your goodness toward them this morning, Father. And that that love, that goodness would break chains and it would transform. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many people we got in here that uh, goes to high school right now? Anybody in here a high schooler? Right there, I got a couple back there. They, yeah, I got one with a high hand. Give me a high hand if you are in here, you know. How many of y'all, you, you like high school? Like high school was a good time. How many people liked going to high school? They enjoyed it, right? There are a couple of people, a couple of people. I kind of enjoyed it. It was, it was a challenging time for me. But I was thinking about this story of Mephibosheth this, this morning, and I was kind of thinking about my life. And I remembered specifically this time, and I've shared this story before, but when I, when I was in high school, obviously I, I had heard about God. I'd even went to church a couple of times, but as, as far as it was concerned with me, I didn't really know the Lord. And I lived a life that was, that was opposite of the way that God would have me to live. And I got caught up in a lot of different things. But I can remember being really depressed you know, growing up, especially in my teenage years in high school, and as I was going through that, I could cover it up pretty well. I had a good time. Like, I partied a lot. A lot of high schoolers, you know, I know some of y'all, you like to get into partying and stuff like that. Maybe, I don't know. I did that a lot, and, uh, and, I, and I got into that, and I can remember one specific time. It was my senior year, and I was in a, I was in a state of just real depression, to be honest with you. And it was, it was October the 31st, I'm pretty sure. We, me and some of my buddies, matter of fact, that guy right there, Trey Bullen, was in the vehicle with me. You remember that night, don't you, Trey? Good times, right? I guess. Uh, anyway, we didn't make it to the party because as I was driving, I, I went down and I, I looked for a CD or something, and we were headed to Oneida. And I don't know if y'all ever driven on the road to Oneida. It's a pretty sketchy road, right? And so I, and I looked up, when I looked up, we were headed toward uh, this side, and Trey and another guy that was in the vehicle with me, they yelled, Clay! And I, and I looked up, and I realized I was headed toward a, a rock wall, so I jerked it. The truck spun around, we flipped over the side, and we went down an embankment. I don't know how many times we flipped. How many times do you think, Trey? Too many. It was, it was too many. Yeah, yeah. Thank God. See, the, but that shows you the love of God right there that Jimbo would even let Trey come to this church out of the stuff that I put, out of the stuff that I put them through. You know, it was, it, was, it was a scary night. We didn't make it. We made it to the hospital. Uh, all of us turned out all right. I had a bad shoulder, but other than that, we weren't too bad. It took my shoes off of me, but it was, a, it was a pretty sketchy wreck. But I can remember that moment laying in the bed that night, and I just felt 
I felt overwhelmed. I was just like at a breaking point in my life. I was 17 years old. And I remember at that time during school, I remember we were working in, in one of my English classes on our, on our senior portfolio. I don't know if some of y'all still work on that stuff. And one of the things that I wrote in this was I was talking about everything that was going on in my life. I was talking about my parents' divorce. I was talking about the pain that that, 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 that brought into my life. I was talking about uh, how I started in on, 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 on drinking and on drugs and, and just trying, trying to find some f- sort of satisfaction, how I started dating this girl that was far older than me and spending a lot of time in Lexington and just, just doing all of these things that, honestly, I was trying to fill this void up in my life, and no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't fill it up. And, and as, I was, as I was going in, in, into this situation, I remember writing this autobiography. It's time for me to write, and honestly, I, I was probably probably fairly smart in high school, but I tried to skip and just go easy on stuff. But for whatever reason, I felt like pouring something out of my soul. You ever get to that point? And so I began to write. I started pouring something out of my soul. And I can remember, I don't have the paper anymore, but I can remember writing, there are moments that mark your life. And these moments actually set everything else in your life to where you begin to categorize those things as before this and after this. How many of y'all, you've had moments in your life like that? Like everything after that moment, you said that happened before this, this happened after it. And that was a moment for me that marked my life. And I finished it out, I finished the whole story, and I get to the end, and I said, and as I lay here, as I sat here writing this, I hear a voice, I'm not sure what it is, but it sounds like the voice of God. The question is whether or not I will listen to it, only time will tell. I wrote that down on paper. I was 17 years old. I turned it in. I ended up getting a distinguish on my portfolio. They told me, they said, Clay, really, to be honest with you, a lot of your other writings, you didn't really put out that much effort, but because of this one piece, you got to distinguish. And they said there were three of them that were reading it together and grading it. And they said, as we read it, we all sat there and we wept. And they, they sat there and they read it and they cried because God, God was doing something in my life even back then. He was chasing me down. He was running me down then. But I had a difficulty listening to him and I didn't have that much help. You know, church, I need you to understand that, man, there's a lot of people that are in. They, they look good on the outside. They may be good on the outside. But the church is called to be aware of people who are broken and in need of help so that we can be the one to speak into their life. Because I was looking for something. I was looking for somebody. I even remember going to a guy that was a pastor at that time. And I said, man, I, I need help. But he didn't really offer me anything. He didn't have anything to say. He said, well, I don't know. I don't know, buddy. He said, if you feel bad, maybe you just need to work on it or work, work it out or something like that. Like he, just, he just didn't have anything to offer me. And I was thinking, man, this is, this is tough. But I heard the voice of God. But listen, for those three years, I didn't really listen to it. I didn't respond. I went deeper into what, the things that I was in. But God was chasing me the never, nevertheless. Why did I open up with that story? Because Mephibosheth is the same way. His story is a story about a man who had a moment in his life when he was five years old and it changed everything in a moment of time. And like I said, you've been in situations like this where something happened. Maybe it was betrayal. Maybe it was loss. It could have been all kinds of different things. Somebody broke your heart. Maybe somebody passed away. Maybe you went through abuse. Maybe you went through some kind of pain and suffering. But something in that moment in your life, man, it so scarred you. It was so traumatizing that you had a difficulty looking at the past the same. And now you had a difficulty looking at your future the same. And that was the situation that was that Mephibosheth was in. Now I need you to I need you to listen to what his story is here for just a second. Because what we know about what about Mephibosheth is King King Saul was the first king in Israel. And Israel, they didn't, they weren't even supposed to have a king. God was supposed to be their king, but they kept begging God for a king. And so do you know that sometimes when you want certain things in life that God will accommodate you? Even when he doesn't want you to have it, if you keep begging him for it, sometimes God will accommodate you and give you what you want, even though it may not be exactly what you need. So God gives them a king. King Saul becomes the first king, but he fails, and God rejects him as being king, and God anoints David as king over Israel, but he doesn't become king just yet. And King Saul has a son named Jonathan, and it says that Jonathan has a son named Mephibosheth, right? His name is Mephibosheth, and he has this son, and the son is five years old. And what happens is Saul and Jonathan are out, and while they're out one day, they are in a battle, and both of them, in a moment of time, Saul, Mephibosheth's grandfather, and his father, Jonathan, are killed in battle, and the news comes in from the battle. Mephibosheth, the king is dead. Jonathan, his, 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 his successor, is dead. And immediately it says that the nurse in the king's palace takes Mephibosheth up. I want you to realize this. This man has lost his father. He's lost his grandfather. He is now in line 
trying to succeed as king at five years old. His nurse takes him up, takes off running with Mephibosheth, falls, and he becomes a cripple because of that fall. That's a bad day, y'all. I don't know. I mean, that is a terrible day. Immediately as I hear this story, I'm thinking, man, I feel bad for Mephibosheth. I cannot believe this. And what is happening at this time, you've got to understand, during that time, if a new king was taking over, you know what would happen? They would exterminate all the lineage of the prior king. They would go into the, t- they would go into the court- courtyard. They would kill everybody there. And so what Mephibosheth is hearing is David is coming to take the kingship. He's coming to take rule, and he will kill you, Mephibosheth. The king is out to get you. He's going to exterminate you. He's going to take out your family line. You need to go into hiding. You need to separate yourself. This is what he knows. Now, here's the thing. Mephibosheth grew up. He knew King David. King David was iconic, son. He was like Justin Bieber or somebody. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like everybody followed King David on Instagram. Everybody knew all about him. They knew what was going on. They knew he was awesome. But the king, King Saul had been trying to kill him and running him through the woods and all these different types of things. And they, he, all he knows is, man, that used to be my dad's best friend. But they're telling me that this king is out to kill me. So he's scared to death. He goes into hiding. He goes into another position. Now, how many of you have ever been in a situation, like I said, where everything changed in one hour in a moment of time? And it broke you, it shattered you, and you're thinking, man, this, I can't move on from this. But see, it doesn't end there with Mephibosheth. Fifteen years go by, it seems like the saddest story ever. He's broken, he's lost, he's hiding somewhere. There's no healing, there's no change, he's still a cripple. He's in an obscure place hiding. But here's what it says in 2 Samuel 9.1, some 15 to 20 years later. Notice this verse, it says, Now David said... This is while after he had been king, after he had won some battles, after he had set up everything in the palace, it says, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. He's asking the question. He's like, Look, does Saul have anybody left? My friend Jonathan's gone. Does he have anybody left? Does he have children? Does he have grandchildren? See, this word kindness in the Hebrew language, we've talked about it before. It's covenant faithfulness. Covenant faithfulness. It's the same word for grace. It's the same word for kindness. And see, this would be very unusual for a king to say when we talk about monarchies because he's not looking to show kindness. What he would say, it'd almost be like he was lying, kind of like King Herod. You remember when he told the Magi, he's like, look, if y'all hear word about the baby, come and tell me so that I may worship him also. He didn't want to worship Jesus. He wanted Jesus dead. Somebody amen me. But see, David didn't want him dead. He was being truthful. He wanted to show kindness to the house. And it was unusual. But here's what you got to understand about David and Jonathan. This is a big point. Jonathan was going to become king after King Saul. But Jonathan began to spend time with David to the point where the Scripture actually says that his soul was knit to the soul of David and he loved him as his own soul. They developed a friendship in this life, a a, a commitment, a covenant with one another to the point. Now, this gets a little bit weird, but this violates all bro code laws. But David said about Jonathan that Jonathan's love for me is greater than the love of all my wives. Now, every time you say something like that, and a lot of scholars will say, see, this proves that David was a homosexual. Now, that's not what it proves. It's not a sexual thing at all. What he's literally saying, it's a type of Christ and the church, folks. It's a type of Christ in the church. And what David is saying is, look, I've got a lot of wives. I've got a lot of women. And they love me in one sense. They want something out of me. But this man, Jonathan, is totally committed to me to the point that he is willing to lay down his life, lay down his robe, give me his armor, give me his sword, and say, I recognize the calling of God upon your life, and I'm willing to lay my life down so that you might be fulfilled in your calling. Now, see, this is a picture of Christ in the church because there's something that happens in true believers whenever they see who Jesus really is they say you know what I see who you finally are Jesus and it's not just about me coming to to church one Sunday out of the month and saying you know what let me try to come in here and get mine and if everything's comfortable and if I feel good about it then I'll be involved but if 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 it inconveniences me maybe I won't be no Jonathan is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ that says it may get hard it may get difficult because their relationship was difficult Jonathan's dad wanted David killed can you imagine let me let me just put it in context for you imagine coming church house this morning somebody on the opposite side their dad wants you dead you know what i'm talking about it'd be a weird day in the church house wouldn't it y'all 
Be like, how are we going to get along with these people? You know what you'd say? Let's go to another church. Amen. Because a lot of people, anytime anything gets difficult in the church and in our relationships, we give up on them. But do you realize that God has created the world in such a way that it only flourishes if it functions in the realm of covenant? I'm going to let y'all wake up this morning. Receive that this morning. If it functions in the realm of covenant, what does that mean? That means that when we get married, I'm in a covenant with somebody. That means when I get baptized in water, I'm in a covenant with God. That means that I'm committed to Him. It may get uncomfortable for me. Listen, there are moments, y'all, when I don't want to be involved in the church either. There are moments when people aggravate me to death and I don't want to help them any longer. There are moments when these things happen. But guess what? Because of the blood of Jesus, I'm in covenant with you. That means that I'm willing to try my best to lay down my life for you. I will fail. I'll fall short. There'll be moments when you need my help and I, and I fall short. But you know what I will do? I will try my best to stay in the covenant and sacrifice myself and my life for your betterment. Because that's what being a part of the church of Jesus Christ is all about. It's about being in covenant. And that's one thing that you have to realize. Even when we go through next steps in this church, we talk about something and it's important to understand that if you are going to get the best that you can get out of the church, it's not about what the church can give you because the church can give you a lot, but it will give you far more when you say, I'm committed to these people. And I know that when I fall down, I got some people that are going to help me back up. And when they fall down, I'm going to be at their side to help them back up. Why? Because we are in covenant and we are the body of Christ. This is what Jonathan and, and David, they're a type of. It's a type of Jesus Christ and the true church because we are called to bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another, to re- lay down our, our rights, to lay down our lives for one another. And see, God's calling upon us will only be fulfilled when we are committed to the covenant that we have to one another in Jesus Christ. Amen. That's a big point. Now, let me, let me move into the next part of this. So, so he ends up saying... To David, Jonathan makes him make a promise. He says, I know that you're going to become king. I know you're going to be king over all of Israel. But he says, you've got to make me a promise that you shall not stop being kind to my house forever. See, there comes a time when every covenant keeper realizes that they got to make good on their promise. And 15 years go by and David realizes, man, I made a promise to Jonathan and I got to keep good on my covenant. It's a picture of God the Father because God the Father is always going to make good on his covenant with you all. When you're in Jesus Christ, it's not about what you've done. It's not about what you failed to do. It's about what Christ did for you on the cross. And when he sees that blood, when he realizes what Jesus has done for you, he says, I'm going to make good on my promise. I'm going to keep my covenant. So here's my first point. My first point is that God desires to show us His kindness. Now that's hard for some people because some people just think, especially in southeastern Kentucky and the culture that we're in, they just think that God is mad all the time. He's upset. He don't want to bless nobody. And you got to be just about perfect. You got to have perfect church attendance in order to be blessed and for God to bless you and take care of you. But see, God desires to show us His kindness. Here's what it says, verse 1 through 3. It says, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there still not someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. He says, Is there anybody that I can show the kindness of God to? You ever ask yourself that question? Is there anybody that I can show the kindness of God to? See, this is what God wants to do. He's always looking to honor the covenant that you have made with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Romans 2.4 says it this way. Let's look at this scripture. It says, do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? In other words, he's saying God desires to actually bring you to a point. Yes, you need to understand what sin is. You need to under, I needed to understand as a young man that I, the way that I was living was sinful, that it was against God, that I was broken, that I needed help. But guess what? When God came to me, I thought He was going to be so angry at me, but instead what He did was He poured out His love on me. He poured out His kindness on me. And when I saw that love and that kindness and His willingness to give me what I did not deserve, it broke my heart and it led me to a place where it says, I'm willing to follow God. It was His kindness that led me to repentance. It was His goodness that made me desire transformation. I love what Titus says, chapter 3, verse 3 through 7. It says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. 
But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He said, look, every single one of us, we were all foolish. Anybody amen me? Were you foolish at one time? We were all disobedient. We all served various lusts and pleasures. We all went down that road. But guess what? In Christ Jesus, God revealed His kindness to us. He did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that through Jesus Christ, the world might be saved. And He said, while you were foolish, while you were disobedient and serving diverse lusts and pleasures, the kindness of God was revealed in Christ. And He came and He began to pour the Spirit of God out on you abundantly. And He came and He began to raise you up. That's what Ephesians 2 says. I love what it says. It says, you used to be dead in your sins and in your trespasses. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and you were a child of disobedience just like everybody else was. It's easy for Christians to get in a place where they stand outside and judge those unbelievers out there, but you were in the same boat, he says. But God, who is rich in mercy and because of His great kindness toward us, it says that while we were in that shape, He raised us up together with Christ and seated us in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. And I love what it says in verse 7 in Ephesians 2 at the end of this. It says that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying it's going to literally take God an eternity to reveal all of his kindness to you. You ain't even going to get all of it here in this life. God, I'm telling you church, I believe this. I preached this a couple of weeks ago, but I believe God is trying to bless us. I keep feeling like the Lord just says to me, Clay, your church, the people that are in your church, they still think that I'm a little bit upset with them. They still think that I don't have good for them. They still think that what they've done in the past, I'm going to judge them for and I'm going to hold it against them. And he wants you to know that Jesus has done a work where he can change your life. You're not who you used to be and he can put you on a new path and start you in a new direction. And he wants to use your life to impact this community, to change your family, to impact this world around you. He wants to use you for that. He needs you to know that he wants to bless you. He says, the kindness that I'm trying to show to you right now, he says, it is, it is exceeding, it's beyond. The word exceeding riches, I taught you the Greek the other day, right, about how Paul loves to use the word hyper, right? And you got hyper kids, you know, son, because you cannot get them to stop. And what he's saying is, my kindness, you cannot get it to stop. Exceeding riches, he says it's hyperbolo. Balo means to throw. It's essentially like you throw a ball over the fence. He said it's not just throwing it over the fence, it's throwing it far beyond that. Hyperbolo is the word we get hyperbole from. Anybody in here, an English teacher, you know what a hyperbole is? It's an extreme exaggeration. That means that when you hear about God's kindness, you should say in your heart, it can't be that good, that's too far, that's beyond the limit. God's kindness is an extreme exaggeration, but the good news is it's an extreme exaggeration and it is true, folks. That's how good God is. He said it's going to take an eternity. I'm going to be spent one million years from now after Jesus Christ has returned and set up His rule and reign on the earth and we are here with Him in eternity. One million years from now, we will still be opening our eyes to God's kindness and His goodness in Christ Jesus. He's saying it's far beyond what you can ever imagine. And if you could just get a glimpse of it, it would so change your heart that you would love people more than you've ever loved people in all your life because you would be setting in that kindness, living in that goodness. And here's what he says in verse 4 and 5. He sends the day to Zeba and Zeba says, look, man, you got a... You got one, there's one. His, his name's Mephibosheth, but you got to understand because, listen, back in those times, like, we honor people now. We, we honor people, and I, I like to believe that we, we honor people regardless of their condition, regardless of their mental state, regardless of their race or their gender or what, what, whatever. Like, well, I believe we should honor all people, right? But back then, folks, it was a little bit different. And if you was in a wheelchair, like, you, you know, it, they looked down on you a little bit. They, 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 they saw you as not being worth much. And Zeba says, yeah, there is somebody, but he's a cripple. And, you know, he, he's handicapped. And, 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 like, society would push somebody like that aside and consider them as not worthy of being reached out to his, or something like that. So Zeba speaks to them. And in verse 4 and 5, it says, so the king said to him, where is he? Where is this person, this Mephibosheth? And Zeba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel. In Lodabar. Then the king David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now notice this. Mephibosheth is one who is broken by the fall, isn't he? 
He's one who is broken by the fall. And I want you to look at these words. Makir means literally sold or given over to death. So Mephibosheth is broken by the fall. He's sold and given over to death of the house of Amiel, but Amiel means one of the family of God. And then lastly, Lodabar means without a word, without a pasture, and no place of bread. It's a death, desolate place. One scholar that I read said that Lodabar basically meant they would pass by the town and say, oh, that's a nothing town. I bet people do that when they pass by Manchester, don't they? I bet people do that when they pass by and they see the church sitting over here. They say, oh, that's just a nothing town. Let me tell you something. God likes to go into the nothing towns. He likes to go into the broken places. He likes to go into the dark places where everybody else has already rejected it and said, listen, king, there ain't nothing there. There's nothing over there. I believe that Jesus Christ looks at the Father and he says, you know what? There's a place down there that everybody else thinks is a nothing town. There's a person over there that everybody else thinks is nothing and isn't going to grow up to be anything. And I'm saying we need to probably send a word down to that person in that place down there in the nothingness and bring them up out of it because God is calling them and has something on their life. Amen. He's in a place, it says, of Makir. He's sold or given over to death, but he's one of the family of God. But it says he's sold or given over to death, and he's in Lodabar. He's without a word, without pasture. What's that mean? It means that you can be one of the family of God, but see, we're all sold or given over to death because of sin. And currently, he's in a place where he's hearing no word. Do you know that there are people of God, people that are in the family of God right now, they're hearing nothing from God. They're in a place of no word. They're distant from the Lord. Let me tell you something, folks. As a child of God, never let yourself get into a place where you're no longer hearing God's word. Right now, I know people are trying to be mega cautious and some people ain't been to church in forever. And and you know what? I want people to be cautious, but never let yourself get disconnected from the family of God and get to a place where you're not hearing from the Lord anymore. Because listen, there are some things that are more important. And the scripture says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We've got to constantly be in a place where we've got pasture, where we have a something to eat on every Sunday, but not only that, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Listen, that's why we have a midweek week service because we thought you may need a a midweek snack where you fill yourself up and you get strengthened once again in the presence of God. It's all for you. It's not against you. It's for you, right? People need to have a word. They need to have a pasture. And see, he gets into this place where where he's lost and we cannot allow people to get into that place where they have no word, where they have no pasture, where they're sold or given over to death, especially when they're the children of God. Now here's what's interesting about Mephibosheth's name. Is that when Mephibosheth was born, guess what? That was not his name. In 1 Chronicles 8, if you read the, the, the genealogy, his name was actually Maribel. And it meant opponent of Baal. His name was a prophetic name. It meant that he would go up against false gods in the name of Yahweh, that he would tear down the false altars, and that ultimately, see, his prophetic destiny was this, that ultimately he would become king in the line of Saul, and when he came up, he would fight for Yahweh, and he would go against other gods. Let me tell you something. Our prophetic voice over this generation means something. A lot of times when we talk about this next generation, we say things like, well, you know, this next generation, man, they're terrible. They don't, all they want to do is stay in their phones and this and that. Let me tell you something. I believe as the people of God, we can start to speak a better word over this next generation. They, not be, they may not be like me and you was. I mean, all I had was Snake on a Nokia. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have Snapchat and all that. And I grew up different. But I believe that this generation may have more power in God than we've ever come into if we as the people of God would teach them the things of God and tell them their true identity in Jesus Christ. They might just raise up to be giant killers and to take out some things. But see, what we speak over people matters. Because he had a destiny. He had a prophetic destiny because they told him, you are Maribel, but at five years of, of age, he fell and his legs were broken and they changed his name. And some of y'all, you've went through something and what you've went through has actually changed your name. It's changed your identity. You had a destiny in God. God called you into something. You knew God was calling you into something, but something happened in your life and you think, I'll never move beyond this. I was abused. I'll never move beyond that. I was divorced. I'll never move beyond that. I'm a teenager. I had sex outside of marriage. I'll never move beyond that. I mean, you, all these things you can list over and over again. I'm worthless. I didn't do it. My parents are crazy. You could list a million things and you say, I'll never move beyond that because I've messed up. I'm broken. There's no way I'll ever move beyond that. And they change his name to Mephibosheth. You know what Mephibosheth means? It means shame or shameful thing 
or from the mouth of shame. Can you imagine giving a young boy five years old say, look, buddy, you used to be a pony of Baal, but we're going to change your name because now you're nothing but a shameful thing. Now you're not worthy. You're not going to become. It's a shame, but your parents have died. You're never going to become anything. You're going to have to spend your life hiding out because you have been rejected. See, many are born with a prophetic destiny. Many are born with God's hand on their lives and God's got a calling. But what does Satan do? He sees that calling. And for many of you right now, he's trying to break into that. He's trying to bring rejection. He's trying to bring pain. He's trying to destroy your family because he knows if he can do that into your life, he can plant a seed of shame or doubt or brokenness in your heart where you say, I can't go on with God anymore. I'm disqualified. But God comes when you are in that place of brokenness, in that place where there is no word, in that nothing place to where God says, this is not who you are. What you have done, what's been done to you, it does not define you any longer. But see, one of our greatest temptations is to live from a place of false identity. Listen, you've got to get into the Word of God and find out this is who I am in Christ. And I'm no longer going to let myself define myself. I'm no, going, no longer going to let what I've been through define myself. I'm not letting anybody else define who I am. God has given me a destiny. God has given me a name. And that is what I'm going to live according to. And you've got to let God speak that into you. Because see, guilt, guilt is good sometimes, isn't it? Y'all ever done something you just felt awful about it? I was telling them Wednesday night when I was 10 years old and I went up here at Speedway and stole some cigarettes, you know what I'm saying? And, and I went into a house and vandalized it and smoked that cigarettes with my buddy and I, my conscience ate me up. Anybody ever been that way? Anybody ever done that when they were 10 years old? Guilt's a good thing sometimes, especially if you do something ridiculous. But see, the thing is, is you got to bring that guilt to the cross. Lay that sin down at the cross and let the blood of Jesus wash over you. Because if you do not, that guilt will turn into shame. And what happens is that shame... Guilt is, I, I'm sorry for what I've done. I feel bad about what I've done. But shame is, I feel bad for who I am. I don't like myself. I don't like what I've become. And you got to allow God to come in and give you a different identity. But see, He comes... And I want you to ask yourself this question. Mephibosheth has been living in Lodabar, hiding from the king for probably 15 to 20 years. Everybody's saying, man, the king is, is out to get you. The king wants to kill you. He's going to destroy you. When Zeba comes and knocks on the door, do you think Mephibosheth is excited? He's like, man, oh man, the king, Zeba's here. No, he probably thinks Zeba is there to kill him to finish the work that David started. Because why? Because he's heard all the wrong things about God for year after year after year after year. How many of us, we grew up in a church where we heard the wrong things about God year after year after year after year? And for years, we heard that God hated us, that God was angry at us, that God was out to get us, that because of our sin, we'd never be able to do anything with God, that God had rejected us. A lot of times, even if they don't preach that from the pulpit, a lot of times we still get this idea. We get this idea that that's how God is. Anybody ever been in that situation? Anybody ever been in that position where everything they do, it just feels like they'll never measure up, they'll never be good enough. This is not the message that God comes to bring. But Zeba knocks on the door, and I believe that Mephibosheth is scared to death because he believes God is mad at him. He's not excited. But let me tell you something. Zeba is a picture of the Holy Spirit that comes to knock on our door when we're in a place of brokenness, when we're in a place where we've got no word and he comes to knock on that door in our darkness and in our brokenness so that we will open it up because he wants to take us back to the king's house. And I need you to understand that as the church of Jesus Christ, you, Zeba represents you and I. That we're now the ones that are filled with the Holy Spirit and we are sent by the King of kings and Lord of lords to go down to the houses, to go down to the people that are hiding out. Because listen, if you, how many of y'all you ever invited somebody to church? And they, I mean, one of the biggest things that I hear over and over and over again, no matter how many times it's said, is something, something like, well, you know, I'll come to church, I just got to get a few things together first. They ain't never going to get nothing together. I tell them, listen, I tell them sometimes, I'm like, listen, don't you understand? We all stink up in there. Like, ain't, we all just really in bad shape. I mean, we're getting better by the grace of God, but you got to understand that we all start somewhere. We want you to be in the king's house. We, he wants you there. I promise you. Well, you don't know what I've done. I promise you the king wants you in his house. And Zeba is going down there to that place to say every lie you've believed about yourself, it's not true. The people, well, because, because in Clay County, too, it's a big thing. Well, well, I just know I've been to church before they judge me. And people look down on me because we got tattoos. Man, we got people up here playing bass, got sleeves on, son. You find somebody with tattoos, say, praise God, bring it on in. And I'm not telling any of y'all kids to go get tattoos or anything. That's neither here nor there. The point is, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you got on or you're wearing, God wants you in His house. 
He wants you in His house. And guess what? He wants the people of God knocking on the doors telling them, hey, God wants you at His house. He's calling for you. We are His ambassadors. We are Zeba sent by the Holy Spirit, sent by the love of the King, saying, is there somebody out there that I can show the kindness of God to? Listen, folks, there's somebody out there. There's somebody out there in your family. There's somebody out there just in your friends, just in your line of friends. And you've forgotten about them because life is so busy. I know. Man, life's too busy for anybody to do anything right now. Life is so busy that we've forgotten the greatest calling in our lives is that we are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We're called to love people. We're called to go out of our way to minister to people. And you can do it about, about your day, every day. But there are people out there that need the kindness of God and He's sending them out. And here's what it says. I want, you to, give, I want to give you my second point. The second point is that Jesus is the King who invites the broken to His table continually. Jesus is the king who invites the broken to his table continually. Verse 6 through 8, it says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, so now Ziba brings him out, he convinces him, Look, we ain't going to kill you, bro. Come check out the king's house. Because now, now imagine people coming in, coming into the king's house. And now when Mephibosheth, the son of David, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And then David said, Mephibosheth. Notice that question mark right there. And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Mephibosheth shows up, and he's so covered in shame. He's been at Lodabar for so long. He falls down, he prostrates himself before the king, and the king looks at him and says with a question mark on it, Mephibosheth? He's questioning him because he knew him as a boy. David knew him. He said, when Zeba sent out and said there was a guy named Mephibosheth, I had no idea who he was talking about, but I realized who this is. This is young Maribel. What are you doing? Why are you called Mephibosheth? That's not the name that was given to you. And I believe sometimes God looks at some of y'all and says, you know I, know, I know you've been called an addict. I know you've been called a divorcee. I know you've been called this. I'm a, whatever you may have been called, that's not your name. Who gave you that name? Mephibosheth? Shameful thing? He's looking at him. He's saying, that, that's not your name. And he begins to speak to him. He says, listen, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm looking to bring restoration into your life because I promise you, God, our God's a God of restoration, y'all. You believe that? You may say, well, I've lost my family. I've lost this. I've lost that. Listen, God is not going to hold you up under that guilt and under that shame and under that loss forever. God is a God of restoration who wants to bring healing in your heart and life in your home and restoration back to you. And he said, David is saying, look, I know that you've lost everything. You had the kingdom. You had all things. And I'm telling you right now, I'm going to restore everything that you've lost in this instant. And I'm going to show kindness to you for, for your father Jonathan's sake. And all of those years of hiding from the king and living in poverty, though it made Mephibosheth think of himself as worthless. And see, many need to come out of this same type of hiding. Because when he comes out of it, he says, Who are you that you would look upon such a dead dog as I? Can you imagine that? I know some people come in here. When we minister to people, this is why it's important, folks, to not only invite people to church, but to minister to people outside of the walls. Because one, it's very hard for people to come in here when they feel like they are a dead dog themselves. And when they do get here, it's very hard for us to convince them that they're not dead dogs. And they may be sitting there with a smile on their face, but it's even important. Here's, here's another thing. I know new people come in and you know, you just, you're just trying to get through and hoping somebody will say hi to you. But I'm talking to my people that are members of this church this morning. When people come in here, do you know how important it is for you to just smile at somebody and say, look, it's good to see you this morning. Because they may be feeling like a dead dog, y'all. And I know you had a good week, and I know you're just trying to get your blessing. But you're going to experience your greatest blessing when you become a blessing to somebody else. And you realize that there are people who are feeling like a dead dog this morning. And they need a kind word, and they need strengthen from the people of God. And you start to recognize this. This ain't Clay's church. This ain't City of Hope church. We are the church. And we have the power, we have the voice to speak into people's lives and say, this isn't who you are. God wants to speak a good word to you. But see, this is the, this is the verse that personifies the culture that we have the opportunity to minister to. And we are ambassadors to minister to people who are feeling like dead dogs, y'all. 
Verse 9 and 10, it says, And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest, that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. That means that he restores everything to Mephibosheth. All the land, everything that he lost is restored back, and he gives him 36 servants. And verse 11 says, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servants, so will your servant do. As As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. See, he has invited him to his table and says he's going to eat like one of the king's sons. Now listen to me, because some of you, you know you're a child of God. If I asked you, are you a Christian? You'd say, yes, yes, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. The Lord loves me. But see, here's the big difference is that you may know you're a Christian, but how come you don't eat at the king's table? You're still sitting outside wondering if you're worthy or not, hoping somehow that maybe the king will throw you some scraps. When the king has said, you are my son, you are my daughter, I'm telling you to come in and sit at my table and eat continually at my table. Because some people think just because, well, I was a child of God, but I messed up last week, I struggled last week. Guess what? You come back to the table again the, next, the following week. You come back to the table again. You say, but I'm struggling. I'm dealing with addiction. I'm dealing with, with crazy thoughts in my mind. I'm struggling with my family. People are going half crazy right now. No, come back continually to the table. Just because you struggle does not make you lose your place at the table of the king. And he says, everything you got have need of right now in your life is at that. But see, what happens is people go through a struggle. People go through a hard time. They start to doubt God's goodness toward them. And, and, and David is saying, he's trying to fix your heart in the kindness and the goodness of God to say that no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're going through, you can continually come back to this table because you're one of the very own sons of the king. I know you got weaknesses. I know you've got struggles. I know you're broken. But see, you need to come continually to this table. Do you know that you honor the king when you eat? Some people have this attitude as Christians. They say, well, you know, I, I, my needs are too little. I don't really have that big of a need. Somebody else needs something. Do you know that you honor the king when you eat at his table? It's not an honorable thing to say, oh, I'm good, king. Don't you worry about me. Don't you worry about me. I told y'all the story about the time I went to Africa and I preached in refugee camps, right? Some of y'all may, may have not heard it. I preached in refugee camps and we went to one place and the first place I preached, son, they had a spread, a scantless, but they had cooked a bunch of goat innards with some other stuff and I ate me a plate of goat innards, man, I got filled up. Donald was over there like, you don't need to eat that, you don't need to eat that. You know, I was just like, no, nah, I'm going to eat it, man. You only, you only, only in Africa one time, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, we're going to eat the innards. So I got filled up on gold innards and some other stuff, and I just preached the gospel, you know, just as hard as I could go. And then we get in the truck, and we go down to another place, and I'm full. And after it was like 99 degrees, and they don't have air conditioning in that thing, you're bouncing like this the whole time. We get to the other place about an hour down there. I'm sweating like a mule, son. And I step up in that thing, and they got another spread cooked. And I'm thinking, boys, I can't do this again. I'm just going to hold off this time. I said, no, I'm good. They said, "Uh, no, Clay, you don't understand. If you don't eat, they won't listen. If you don't eat, they won't listen. I said, well, I said, all right, give me a little bit. I'll take a little bit of that rice and just give me a little bit. I'll eat a little bit. I said, no, Clay, you don't understand. You're the honored guest. They give you whole chicken. They had me a whole chicken, son. And, and when I say whole chicken, I'm talking whole chicken. The thing had heart in it still, had the liver in it still. It had eggs in it still that had not formed the shell on the inside of the chicken. Let me tell you, I'll say this though, it's the most delicious chicken I ever ate in my life. <laughs> Y'all don't realize that you ain't never had it in America because they already cut the breasts off and stuff. There is some fat that goes up the spinal cord of a chicken that is delicious. <laughs> you peel it right off the spine, son. Oh, it is tasty. Well, after I started eating this chicken, I got refreshed and the Lord anointed me to eat the whole chicken. <laughs> so I ate the whole chicken and I stood up. And I told him, and we're talking about in refugee camps, son, on the border of South Sudan and Uganda. And I stood up and I got ready to preach. I had my translator. I said, now listen, y'all, I'm from Kentucky. And they at least, you know, believe that the chicken's a big thing. I said, we got KFC in, K- in Kentucky. I said, but this is the best chicken I ever ate. The women stood up in the back and said, yeah! <laughs> they did all. I was, like, I was like, praise God. What's my point? The king is honored when you eat at his table. I couldn't have said no. It would have been dishonoring. 
When you come in here and you worship the Lord, and when you come in here and you let the Lord love on you, and when you come in here and you hear His Word, and you're in your Bible and you're opening it up, man, He sees you eating at His table and He is refreshed by it. And He lets out one of them war cries like them women let out. And he said, that's my child eating at my table. He's refreshed. He's strengthened. I love Him. I want Him, I want him to know this morning how much that I love Him so that He can walk out of these doors strengthened and refreshed and knowing that I'm going to bring healing into His life. God wants you to know that, folks. He wants you at His table. Man, never forget that. Never forget that. Every time you sit in here, I don't care how broken you are, how messed up things are. When you sit down and when you receive the Word, when you open it up and you eat at His table, there's healing there for you. There's refreshment there for you. There's strength there for you. There's deliverance there for you. There's freedom there for you. There's a future there for you. He still has a plan for you. He can weave even the broken things back into your life for good. Just eat at His table. Just hear His Word. Just know His love for you. See, here's what I want, to, I want you to know. My last point is that I am, a, I am Mephibosheth. You are Mephibosheth. This is a story about us, y'all. David is a picture of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Zeba is a picture of the Holy Spirit that he sends out to knock on our door and say, would you come to the king's table? And when he gets there, see, we are broken. That's why I am Mephibosheth, because the Scripture says that all have sinned, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all broken. We're all lame. We all can't hardly walk the way that we need to walk in accordance with what God has for us. Would you say amen to that? I just can't quite do it the way that I need to do it. And see, here's the thing. Some of you say, well, you know, I ain't really that bad. I ain't really that bad of a person. I ain't, I ain't like using needles or nothing like that. I ain't, I, ain't, I ain't that bad a person. I'm a pretty good dude. Let me tell you something. Even the very best among us in here this morning you know as well as I do, there's nights when you sit at the house and you'd be sitting there watching Netflix or cable TV and there's things in your soul that you're not proud of and there's things that just begin to wash over you and if you were to, if you were to begin to examine the depths of your heart and soul and some of the things that you're going through, there's a little bit of shame in there. There's a little bit of brokenness in there where you realize, man, I just am not the way that I should be. And you realize your deep need. You realize that I'm fallen, that I'm broken. But guess what? The, the, the second reason we are Mephibosheth is because we do not have to stay there. We're not just left there, but we are pursued by the king. See, the gospel didn't start with Mephibosheth getting up and saying, let me go to the king's house. The gospel started with the king saying, where is one that I can show the kindness of God to? See, we don't pursue God. God comes after us. People say in the Scripture, well, you know, sin separates you from God. Yes, it does separate you from God, but do you understand that the one who ends up going back is not us, but it's God? In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned and fell, they were the ones that hid, not God. They were the ones that hid, and God shows up in the garden looking for them, saying, where are you? And they said, we were ashamed. We hid ourselves. We covered ourselves because we didn't want to deal with who we really were now. And God's coming back to remind them of His love and He ends up covering them in clothes, right? Because God's the one that pursues us when we're in that place. And then lastly, the king's table covers our sin because when God comes up after us and finally says, would you come? Would you be with me? Would you let me give you life? Would you give me let me give you restoration? He invites us into His living room, so to speak. He sets us at the table. And you and I, we're crippled, we're broken. But guess what? He sets us down at that table and that table covers our brokenness. And that's the beauty of it. Is that when outsiders look on, when all the other brothers and sisters in the house look on, they see you and I, Mephibosheth, sitting at that table. And even though we're broken and crippled, guess what? They can't even see it because it's covered by the grace of God. It's covered by the table. And we're sitting there eating at the table the redemption of God, the forgiveness of God, the healing of God the goodness of God, His plans for us. And when everybody looks at us, they say, that must be one of the sons. That must be one of the daughters. That must be one of the children of God. They don't see our brokenness anymore. They don't see our weakness anymore. They see us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ with His love on our life, with His goodness overwhelming us. And that is who we are in Christ Jesus. Every one of us are broken folks. And it, it does us a lot better when we just come to the realization that we are. Christianity is not about trying to be such a good person. It's about getting so lost in the one who is the best person and the only good person that it transforms who you are. It transforms who you are. Yeah, we all want to be better people, but there's only one way we're going to become better, and that's getting lost in Jesus. I ain't going to do it on my own effort. I got to realize every day, Lord, I ain't going to make it without you. 
I need strength. I'm broken. I'm crippled. I can't walk the way you need me to walk. I can't pastor this church. One of my greatest fears is, Lord, I'm going to fail at pastoring this church and these people. And what if I fail, God? What if I fail? Where are they going to go? And the Lord tells me over and over again, Son, not only do I have you, but I got them. I got y'all all covered. You know why? Because y'all are my kids. And you all are a family. And he says, Clay, could you, just, could you just teach the people that they're all family? Could you just teach them to love one another? Could you keep, teach them how to sacrifice? And I'm saying, Lord, I struggle to do this myself. He said, I know. But y'all are sitting at the table. And y'all are eating. And you're, you're believing and you're growing and things are changing. And see, here's the thing. 2 Samuel 9, 13. It says, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. Jerusalem means a foundation of peace. Many of you are dealing with anxiety. You're dealing with fear right now. But it says that he dwelt in a foundation of peace in Jerusalem. For he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both of his feet. Some of you all are not experiencing peace in your life right now because you're forgetting to come back to the king's table to eat, to receive from what he's, what he's done. And the way that we know that we are receiving from the king's table, that we're receiving God's love and, and, and God's goodness, is when we pour that same out on others. i tell you an indicator of when you're not eating at the king's table is you forget to love others. I told y'all Wednesday, I felt like the Lord told me, hey Clay, don't forget to love people. Anybody in here just you ever just forgot to love somebody? You just sort of pass them on by. Forgot about that person, just let that go. But see, when I come and I realize what the gospel has done for me, you know what it makes me want to do? It makes me want to share the gospel with somebody else who is in my shoes. When I realize how forgiven I am, you know what it does? It makes me want to forgive others who have hurt me. When I realize the grace of God toward me, the healing, the freedom, whenever I realize what Jesus Christ has done for me, guess what? I'm so filled with His love that I've got to go out of my way to love somebody else. And if you're not going out of your way to love somebody else, what God is saying is not, I'm angry at you. He's saying, you just ain't been at the table long enough. You need to come and experience this forgiveness. You need to come and experience this goodness. You need to come and experience that love. And right now, I believe God's going to give some people an opportunity to do just that. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. Now I know everybody in America is saved and is giving their life to the Lord, so to speak. And I'm being a little bit facetious, but here's the thing. Where do you, where do you stand with God this morning? Because right now would be a perfect time to say, you know what? I don't know that I am a child of God and now is the time that I want to be certain that I want to sit at the King's table. If that's you, I want you to just lift your hand right now. Every, 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 every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Just lift your hand. I see one hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? I see another hand. I see another one. Anybody else? I see you. Right now, you can come to the king's table. Right there where you're at, you can pray. Because he's inviting you to say, I'm, I want to bring change into your life right now. I want you to know how much I love you this morning. So, Lord, we just pray. I want you to pray right where you're at, especially if you raise your hand. But for the rest of you, I know, I know so many of you, you've been saved, but you've not been coming to the table. And the Lord's saying there's healing for you right now. There's forgiveness for you right now. There's restoration for you right now. So, Father, right now, we just come to you. We admit, Lord, that we're fallen, that we're broken, that our sin has separated us from you, God. But, Lord, we're the ones that hid and Jesus, you're the one that loved us enough to come running after us to knock on our door. And so, God, we open that door right now and we receive your forgiveness. We receive your love. We receive your goodness. We receive your healing. We receive everything that you are. And I pray, God, that your peace would be poured out on every heart this morning, Lord God. Your love would be poured into them, Father. That you would strengthen them. Lord, that your love would begin to overwhelm them, God. Lord, we just want to worship you. I want you to stand to your